Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Hello and welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time again today. Please let me tell you about the Bennington Triangle of Vermont's Appalachian Mountains. The Vermont Republic, also known as the Green Mountain Republic, existed from 1777 to 1791, at which time Vermont became the 14th state of the United States of America. Vermont not only takes its state nickname, the Green Mountain State, from the mountains, it's named after the French Monts Verts or Verts Monts is literally translated to Green Mountains. They are called the Green Mountains because every winter the, when the snow comes the trees still appear green and so do the mountains. The Green Mountains are a mountain range in the state of Vermont by the way. The range, run, range runs primarily north to south and extends 250 miles from the border with Massachusetts and the, to the border of Quebec, Canada. The part of the same mountain range that is in Massachusetts and Connecticut is called the Berkshires, and it's all part of the Appalachian Mountains. Now, as breathtaking as the beauty is in this area, the Native Americans avoided the area completely, using it only as a burial ground. They believed the land to be cursed because all four winds met there. Two, their were legends of a mysteriously enchanted stone that literally swallowed up anything that steps on it, including humans. Glastonbury was a bustling town for the good part of the 19th century. It died out with the timber and charcoal industry and no longer has an organized town government. Today, in the 27,341 acres of mountain wilderness, it is only has four 
full-time residents, and they're all from the same family. Some folks in the area say it's merely the site of unfortunate but coincidental mishaps, explainable by the harsh and disorienting nature of its wilds. Well, you can enter the Native American I told you so right here, I guess. What unfortunate but coincidental mishaps would these be? Well, let's talk about that. On November 12, 1945, 74-year-old veteran woodsman Mitty Rivers came to get his hunting group in Bickford Hollow at the end of a day's hunt. Now, Mitty was born and raised in these mountains and knew them like the back of his hand and when he led the hunting party in. Heck, he was so good at what he did, he was the go-to guy for hunting parties. He had been to the doctor for a checkup scarcely a week or so earlier and was deemed to be as healthy and strong as an ox. Mitty said he was headed back to the camp to start supper as the party followed barely a minute behind him. They saw Mitty round the bend in the trail just ahead of him, going just out of sight, and never saw him again. The whole community came together to search for the beloved mountain guide, including military, neighbors, even Boy Scouts, who continued their search for an entire month finding only an unspent rifle cartridge that was similar to the ones Mitty carried. Nobody could even be sure it was his or not, but most of the people in the area do believe it was. A year later, Bennington College student Paula Weldon hitched a ride to the mountains and started her hike along the Long Trail. Paula had resolved to find and walk a portion of the Long Trail located a few miles from her college campus. She knew of the famous trail, but hadn't yet had an opportunity to hike it. She tried to get some other students to join her that day, but they were all too busy. So, Paula went by herself. From all appearances, Paula didn't expect to be gone for more than a few hours. After all, she finished her job and she headed back to her dorm. She threw on a bright red parka and sneakers. A group of hikers were walking down the trail as Paula was walking up. She approached him and asked him a few questions about the long trail. Then Paula continued walking in a northerly direction on the road portion of the trail, now known as Harbor Road, where she was again seen by an elderly couple who were walking behind her. They said that she rounded a corner ahead of them and on the trail and just disappeared into oblivion. Again, volunteers from the area, including military, and because Paula was only 18 years old, the FBI was called in too, and they all conducted a huge search once again. They expected to find her as they thought that her bright red parka would stand out in the woods. Her parents even offered a $5,000 reward for her safe return. There was never a shred of evidence ever found anywhere of her, anywhere. Three years to the day after Paula's disappearance, James E. Tapford vanished in circumstances that defy the law of physics. James boarded a bus in St. St. Albans, which was nearby, after visiting relatives, intending to return to the Bennington soldier's home where he lived. His presence on the bus was confirmed at the stop before Bennington City, but he wasn't on the bus when it reached the following stop at the Bennington Soldier's home. None of the passengers, including the driver, had any idea what happened to him. He just literally disappeared into thin air. Then on October 12, 1950, Paul Jepson, an eight-year-old boy, disappeared without a trace. 
the little boy jumped into his family's truck with his mother for a trip to the downtown dump, which was near the mountain. His mother left the truck for probably a minute and a half. When she returned to the car, Paul was gone. It took place on a bright and clear Columbus day in the mid-afternoon. As with all the previous disappearances, both a military and civilian search ensued. A team of dogs sent by the New Hampshire State Police lost the boys' trail in the vicinity of the west, just west of Glastonbury Mountain. In fact, right in the same place where the missing student Paula Weldon was last seen. Paul was never found. Amazingly, just 16 days later, Frida Langer, a 53-year-old from North Adams, Maine, entered a small patch of woods on the east side of Glastonbury. It was late in the afternoon. She and her cousin Herbert Elsner were hiking. A half mile away, Frida fell into a stream. She left her cousin there and ran to the half mile back to the camp to try to change clothes so she wouldn't get cold while hiking. Mr. Elsner was waiting, but Frida didn't come back. So he went back to camp only to discover that she had never arrived and nobody ever saw her come out of the woods. Frida Langer knew the rough terrain well and simply couldn't have got lost in the short distance. Again, a great search began and the search team scoured the area by plane, helicopter, and on foot. Again, they found nothing. Later, a clue to Frida's disappearance was discovered after seven months. Her body was discovered in the middle of an open field. It was definitely very strange because the field had already been thoroughly searched earlier by firemen, 300 military, volunteers, police, and even local sportsmen who were well versed in the mountains. As it was later reported, her remains were so gruesome, or in such gruesome condition, I should say better, the cause of death couldn't even be determined. Hers was the only body of our missing ever to be found. These are a few of the mysteries of the Glastonbury Mountain area that remain unresolved. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. I'm Larry Bentley. Now, in light of all the disappearances, and by all I mean there are many more than we talked about here, a term was coined to describe the area. The Bennington Triangle is the name coined by New England author Joseph A. Citro during a public radio broadcast in 1992 where he was describing the area. Precisely what area is encompassed by the Bennington Triangle isn't exact, but it's centered in Glastonbury Mountain and includes some of the most or most of the area and the towns immediately surrounding it, especially Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset. The odd and strange happenings in this area actually started as far back as history is recorded. There have been strange tales of mysterious lights, untraceable sounds, and skulking specters since pre-colonial times. The few colonial families who settled there were plagued by more misfortune than normal human beings would expect to endure. One of the strangest reports may be the Bennington Monster. Thought to be an early Bigfoot or Sasquatch, the monster has been described as well over six feet tall with hair from its head to its toes. The first sighting of the monster was reported in the early 19th century when it rushed a stagecoach on a washed out road. The beast single-handedly flipped the coach onto its side and ran off into the woods with a dark roar. 
1892, a sawmill worker, Henry McDowell, drunkenly bludgeoned a co-worker to death with a rock after he heard voices telling him to attack. He was committed to an asylum, but managed to escape and vanish into the mountains. Only five years after that murder, another strange one followed nearby. John Harbor was a prominent, prominent Woodford resident who went to Bickford Hollow, just south of Glastonbury, to hunt. He was shot to death by somebody who was, and was found with fully loaded gun laying next to him, and he had been dragged several yards. Those who investigated his death were left wondering why he was so easily shot with a fully loaded gun and why his assailant would bother to drag him somewhere and then throw the gun next to him. This murder has gone unsolved, and, well, with all the evidence likely lost to time, it's probably going to stay that way. In 1967... A different kind of monster began to appear in the mountain. The wild man of Glastonbury lived in a cave near Somerset. Unfortunately for everybody who lived there, he didn't stay in the cave on the mountain. He would come down into nearby Glastonbury and other settlements in the Bennington Triangle to harass women by pulling open his ratty, tore up, stinking old coat to reveal his nude body while waving a pistol around to scare off anybody who might want to stop him. Well, he soon disappeared too, though. The pattern of the disappearances have some thinking a serial killer might be responsible. All the people who vanished did so within the wintertime, which suggested something other than chance was at play here. The first disappearances left no trace at all, and Ms. Langer's body was discovered in a place that had already been searched and searched and searched again. Maybe somebody was extremely successful at abducting and killing people near the highway or on the mountainside and like many other killers maybe a, that person just couldn't overcome the desire to show off when they moved their body into the open field that would explain why no traces have ever been found of the other victims and why paul jepson's trail went cold on the highway it would even make sense in paula weldon's case since she hitchhiked to the mountain and may have accepted a ride home with the wrong person there are few problems with this theory, though. The first is that Ms. Langer and Mr. Rivers went missing on the mountain near friends. It would be extremely risky and stupid for a serial killer to pounce on somebody with the friends standing right beside them. The second problem is that the victims didn't follow a pattern or don't follow a pattern. Serial killers tend to have a type that they like to kill. It would be extremely rare for one to pick up two elderly men, an 18-year-old woman, an 8-year-old boy, and then go after a 53-year-old woman. If it's not a serial killer, then, oh, don't you fear, we have the next most interesting explanations, which are the supernatural ones. There are legends of a man-swallowing boulder hidden among the cairns in the mountain's peak. After all, nobody knows where the cairns came from, how they were assembled, or even when. What's a cairn? Well, a cairn is a man-made, uh, I guess you'd call it for lack of a, a better term, a assembled stack of stones in an orderly fashion. About 10 years ago, David Lacey, who is an archaeologist with the Green Mountain National Forest in Vermont, was checking the status of the fire tower in Glastonbury Summit and discovered the cairns just off the long trail, a couple of hundred yards south of the fire tower in nearby flat-wooded plateau. The entire mountain and surrounding area was being proposed for wilderness status, Mr. Lacey wrote in a 
report in support of this plan in which he said, at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain and within the Appalachian Trail's long trail corridor, a cluster of three sites, the National Register eligible Glastonbury Mountain Fire Tower Lookout, the remains of the Associated Caretaker's Cavern, and at least three stone cairns, which cultural and origins are unknown and which may be, well, prehistoric. Whether or not they eat people, I couldn't tell you, but uh, bear in mind, we are talking about the Appalachian Mountains here, folks. Disappearances coupled with odd lights, sounds, and odors have also led to UFO abduction theories in the area. I myself have seen some odd lights in the mountains, and we actually can't criticize anybody for that one. Remember, Europeans laughed at the Native Americans who told them to stay away from there to begin with because something wasn't right. One solid explanation I've heard has to do with the area's history as a mining town. The mountainside is literally covered with unmarked mine shafts that people could easily fall into. That in itself could explain why the missing people never were found. You see there, I'd say if somebody saw a person hiking along and they just got swallowed up by the ground, it might look just like somebody had been attacked by a man-eating rock and swallowed up. Just remember one thing. If you're in the green mountains of Vermont walking the long trail, you're smack in the middle of the Bennington Triangle, and you've been warned by the first people of this nation not to go there. So be on your toes and keep your eyes peeled because these Appalachian Mountains, well, they like to hold on to their secrets. I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to do so, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. We release ad-free episodes and release early episodes and even exclusive episodes. One's called the Squonk, and another one is called the Raven Mocker. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian murder mystery or legend. Please come back. I'll see you then.